0: You are listening to The WOW Network with Ella Clark and Jackie Anders. The WOW Network was established to aid in the support of new and debut authors. The network is structured to provide new writers with social media exposure, marketing support and professional advice regarding the navigation of the publishing industry. You can join the WOW Network on one of our current platforms, which include the Right or Wrong Virtual Book Club and by the Moonlight Writers Podcast. You can also follow the WOW Network by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Until next time, keep writing.
1: podcast. We are a podcast for writers, bloggers, and readers. I am Jackie Anders, and I am here with my co-host, the amazing Ella Clark. How are you tonight, Ella Clark? I am doing great, Jackie Anders.
0: <laughs> we have a lot of fun. <laughs> We're excited to be doing another episode of By the Moonlight Writers Podcast.
1: And the messages that we get, people are super excited because we have a lot of good, informative guests. But the one that we have tonight, wow, she's going to be a wealth of knowledge to yeah. share with our listeners and viewers. So welcome, Laura K. Uett. And Laura is an actress. She has starred in many, many movies. She's also a novelist. I've, I've read one of her novels it's amazing so welcome lauren how are you tonight
2: i'm good i'm, I'm i never know how to answer that question anymore i'm fine
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, you gotta have
0: it. a rubber stamp answer these days because well it's, so it's just hard such hard a mixed bag, bag you know it's a mixed bag things are nuts out there <laughs> nothing's <laughs> normal more ways than one nothing is normal no <laughs>
1: hey we're doing
0: the best we can do and you know what exactly. laughter goes a long
2: way so that's right Exactly. Well, and and on a rolling scale i'm doing better than some and not as good as others so you know
0: there you uh, have it <laughs> there
2: you <laughs> sometimes go sometimes it's
0: do good see. to be in the happy medium
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'll take happy medium for this
0: i will take happy medium for this because there are some far extremes right now i'll take happy medium <laughs> exactly <laughs> I I hear y'all. But Laura
1: and I and Ella, you know, you've met Laura for a while. We've known each other on social media for for a while. It's kind of been like we've become friends just through the great world of social media. Absolutely. lot of uh, experience in her career, but Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself before we go into these questions that we got ready to go for. Okay,
2: you. well, and I do want to say real quickly that one reason that that we have gotten to know each other is because y'all are very supportive, and so yeah. I, I find that, you know, that's easy to engage in socially, is somebody who's so supportive, especially of writers, <laughs> you know, it's not like, not like the whole world bends for the writer, so... <laughs> So it's good to find support out there. you got to kind
0: of create your own bin when you're a
2: writer. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's a lot of self-starting, a lot about it writing is. and self-starting. It so is. did you ask me a question? Hold on. In- <laughs> I love it. See? It's fun.
1: <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> but i will say you know i have seen the movies that you've been in and of course i've read your book but i do i admire quentin tarantino and i admire your acting we can go on and on about things like that but your writing that is what's really exciting to talk about tonight so what got you started in writing that's the the main thing why writing why not just stay acting you know what or did you start in writing because you do have degrees
2: in that which i'm going to mention in a second but tell us why why well, like, you stumbled onto that clue yeah i actually was a writer and and didn't have any plan at all of being an actor <laughs> so <laughs> i had no dreams of stardom no yeah that i did it um uh, cart horse whatever <laughs> um i think um at first i noticed i was a writer early um, I I remember writing stories in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade that were fairly sophisticated. I remember one in particular that I wrote about a dolphin that had a, a translating box, like an electronic oh. device uh-huh. that would translate its language to us uh-huh. so that we could understand what it was trying to communicate to us. And that was a fairly elaborate story for a grade schooler.
1: For that young. Yeah, and yeah. I'm a teacher. So yeah, that to think like that. Yeah, that's definitely outside the box.
2: Well, <laughs> <and> I remember <laughs> a, a there was a, an assignment to do a report on Egypt. And oh my gosh, I was so into it. And you know, I'm, I'm, I was a child long before Google. So that was all about library and reading and all that. But oh my gosh, I was so fast. I continue to be so fascinated by Egypt. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my favorite, I still remember what the cover of the, I mean, I made a cover because <laughs> I mean, it was a bit, several page. It was a very, it was a book. Mm-hmm. It was probably the first book I ever wrote. And, uh, and it was all about Egypt and the cover was pink and I it had, it had drawn a cat on it because cat was very big symbology. And I also was a kid, so I like cats, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, by the time I was 11, um, I realized I was living in my first novel and, mm-hmm. So, eleven and twelve years old, I lived in a, um, a commune. wasn't really a commune because a commune means that you put all your money together as well, and we all lived together, but we didn't put our money together. So it's technically a collective. But when you say I lived in a collective, people don't know what that is. So, <clears throat> although they think they know what a commune is, and it's there was no religion, there was no nudity, there was well, there was nudity, but there was no <laughs> sexuality. Um, you know, we were kids. Um, but yeah, so I lived at this place called Lemonade Farm. And I knew at the time that it was happening that remember everything, remember everything because I knew I would write it all. And so it became my life's work. I actually, the reason that I got my master's degree in creative writing and English literature was in order to earn the right to tell that story well. I wanted to be good, you know, mm-hmm. so I wanted to be good enough to write Lemonade Farm, because I had been thinking about it for, you know, my whole young life by then. So, I uh, I've I worked on it for 20 years, um, and yeah, it was just something that was always with me, and and I'll tell you one thing that sort of stretched it out was at some point I asked myself, Laura, why are you taking 20 years to write this book that you've known you're gonna write your whole life? And honest, I mean, it's a a novel. So a lot of it is fictionalized. A lot of it is fictionalized. All the names are different. All the people are different. All the, everything's different. But I had all the raw materials in my brain at 12 years old. So why would it take 20 years to solidify, you know, what that book was about? But I realized at some point that I think I was delaying finishing it because I had always seen it as my life's work. And I thought, well, then what, Then what? <laughs> you know, like if I finish it, is there any point to me? Do I have any goals left? Am I, you know? So it was very important to me and it really did rule my life for a long time. And uh, so I guess I never really decided to be a writer. I just always felt this desperate need to tell that story.
1: It's amazing i love that i love yeah. that i love that personalized touch in what yeah, and what you're saying
2: experience and, you know, and a, of a whole listen. journey yeah, yeah. And <laughs> well and light i i i could see it like sort of as a movie as i was running it in my head but i, I always knew it was a book mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome my yeah. book yeah
1: right i know and and I know, like Ellen and I will talk, and sometimes we'll say, "Oh yeah, we're gonna go do a, um, we're gonna try to make twenty thousand words in a week or something like that." And people will be like, "How are y'all gonna do that?" And I would say, "Well, it's all in my head already. It's all I see. The character, I see everybody, and yep. I hear, I, I hear them arguing in my yes, head." Right?
2: It's, yes, it's,
0: yes,
1: Loud I brain.
2: I got a loud brain. I'm sure y'all do too. A loud. I love the way, way put loud brain Yes, loud a brain. loud
1: brain and it's it's really just about sitting down and how fast can your fingers move how many Yeah, yeah because once I got that
2: out of the way I wrote five books in four years after that so I mean it was like I just needed to be done with that
0: it becomes like a movie scene in your head and you're just trying to keep up and get trying to get what you see on paper as it plays out and as the characters
2: talk and relate to each other. and You're just trying to- It doesn't always going. go like that, but when it does, it feels so good. <laughs> it does.
1: It does. But it it, absolutely it, is, does. it is neat that there was something special. Something was special to you and you wanted to get it out to the world, but you wanted to make sure the time was right, that it was right Well, and you. I wanted to make
2: sure I was skilled enough because I knew it was a complicated story. I mean, it has 10 main characters and it's told from the point of view of a 12-year-old. So I knew that was going to be- not easy. I mean, there's not that many books that even attempt to do that. Plus, I had this, every time I write, I I try and do some literary game with myself. And the game I played with that one was that I wanted to try and write that entire book that had 10 main characters without ever indicating who was talking by saying so-and-so said or so-and-so exclaimed or so-and-so yelled or I didn't want to do that, so I would say i would I wanted it to be all literary, no expository filler, yeah, and so I wanted every word in there to do work, and I figured the quotes tell you somebody's talking. I don't have to tell you somebody's talking, you can see that they're talking, so what else <laughs> are they doing so i yeah, I played this literary game with myself that I really challenged myself with ten main characters of trying to never ever ever say he said quietly or, said. yeah not, none of that
1: that's a long tags if you could help it yeah I, I i agree because if the reader's really involved in the story but the writer has gotten them that involved in the story then yeah i mean that's a talent that's definitely well I, a talent. I
2: don't even know if it's a talent so much as that it's just i don't even know why i do it it's that i get frustrated with certain things in in literature and and don't want to play that game you know, because if it's my turn to write, why should I do it in a way that irritates me?
0: Exactly, it's your own creative prose. Right, with I my mystery
2: it? series, I set a goal of my the cast of characters in the mystery And you probably didn't notice this as you were reading it, but um, in the mystery series, uh, the Charlotte Reed Mysteries, that's all set in New Orleans as an extremely diverse community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to talk about every character in that story without ever saying what color they were Mm -hmm. by skin.
1: And you didn't. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: yeah, and and in the first couple of books, that's a a challenge. Book Mm -hmm. three was like, oh, my goodness, what was I thinking? Because book three, the main character, Charlotte, gets a role in a movie called Seven Sisters. And in Seven Sisters, three of the sisters are white, three of the sisters are black, and one of the sisters is Asian. So how am I supposed to tell that story without ever saying white, black, or Asian? I, I've set these ridiculous goals for it, but I did it. Yes. It's doable. We can speak in a post-racial way. We can learn to you know, accelerate our language to an area where we identify people beyond skin color, especially because I'm not actually... White. I'm sort of more like a peachy ivory, you know, and I've never seen too many people who are actually black, you know, that's not the color of skin. (laughs) So it's not a very accurate description as a writer.
1: Very true. I always say I'm a mutt. <laughs> so well, uh,
2: that's another thing entirely. They're, in New Orleans, there are very few white, white people and very few black, black <laughs> people. But that's, that's an ethnicity issue. I'm just talking about as a literary practice. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to describe a person. Why would I describe them inaccurately by saying their skin is a color that it is not? Right. And that's very
0: right. In yeah. my book, I was trying to describe, because angels don't have, it's, you know, about angels, so I was trying to describe my main character, and, you know, I was talking about the luminescence and the, car- the caramel color of his skin, and, you know, because they're not white, they're not black, they're angels, mm-hmm. so I definitely understand what you're saying. You want to make it so that it's descriptive without using... Stereotypes, for lack of a better Stereo- word. Yes,
1: yeah. I was thinking. You know, well, what if I tell, tell you old somebody old. has
2: 10,000 braids coming out of their hat, do you think they're a white person? <laughs> so I don't have to tell you what. <laughs> I've got a lot of things going on. <laughs> you know, if I say that their afro shone like a halo, exactly. I don't need to also say it's a, a black person, right? Like, I mean, don't you yeah, get it? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love the challenges. You, you, you well, I, I don't know why I do it. But I do. I, well, I do it because I get irritated. I do it because I as a reader, I get irritated. And as a writer, I, I get irritated with the boundaries with those yeah. rules. And you give yourself different rules to fix
0: it. Or it's not even yeah, to to a try, at least To challenge, you challenge yourself. Yes. To break those ir- irritating boundaries.
2: Well, and you know, honestly, the skin thing was because of, um, uh, my niece, when she was three, uh, she, we, too long a story, but the bottom line is she did not understand who we were trying to, who the television was trying to identify when they kept saying the word black. She finally was, she looked at the TV, she's three and she goes, I don't see anything black. And we were like, oh, I'm not going to tell her. I'm not going to be the one Mm -hmm. to say that they're calling that person. Mm -hmm. I I mean, she can't understand what they're talking about. So they're wrong. She's not wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's what did it was that when I realized that I didn't want to be the one to teach her to call people color names, um, that came into the book.
1: And, and that's, that's such a great love thing, it. changing the way that we handle things is a good start. I agree. Well, I we, love do, it. we do want to talk about another important thing, and that is the Me Too movement that you, you tweet about a lot. And if anyone listening has not come across it, it's hashtag Me Too, T-O-O. This is a very important movement. And I know, like I said, you're a big supporter of that. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, this is another thing where out of the mouths of babes, I get my lessons. Um, I had had a teenager call me, a teenager that I'd worked with as an actor, and she called me and she was in LA and she was working on a project and her producer had hit on her. And she wanted to know what she should do about that. And I gave her all of my best wisdom. I've been doing this for decades and I know how to survive, you know, this industry and all that it brings for women. And so I gave her all my best wisdom of how to handle that situation. And basically, I was telling her how to keep her job. I wasn't telling her anything about her body or self-respect or boundaries. I was just telling her how to keep her money in her pocket. Mm -hmm. And because that's all I knew. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'd been taught. And, and that was the only thing that made sense. Mm -hmm. And then like, two weeks later, Weinstein Mm -hmm. story exploded. Mm -hmm. And three years ago today, October 15th, 2017, Alyssa Milano tweeted and said, if all of us who have been assaulted, harassed, or you know, write me too as a status, it might give people a sense of the magnitude of this problem. And yep. it was millions. And so yep. when I saw that, and then I saw Harvey get in trouble, Harvey Weinstein. He was as close to a God as they, as you would find in our industry. He was the most powerful man in our industry. And so to find out that he was vulnerable to the law, I mean, imagine if you woke up and found out they arrested Jesus. Well, they did that in the Bible, actually, and their people reacted poorly. So, you know, obviously, Harvey's no Jesus. <laughs> quite the opposite. Uh, not quite. But he was that kind of powerful. He was a God. And so... I called the teenager back and said, I think I gave you all wrong advice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think, I think I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I'm, I think I'm too old to advise you on this. I think I'm part of the problem, not the solution. And I think you could evaluate whether or not you could come forward because people are doing that now. And you could evaluate whether or not you wanted to confront your boss at work because people are doing that now. And so don't ask me, as somebody younger who has confronted somebody and see what they say. Yeah. And so I started getting interested in this as, you know, as many of us did uh, who are in the industry and found out that 94%, 94% of the women in my union, S- they reported that they had experienced work-related assault and MeToo issues. And so, so of course, MeToo, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. duh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 94%, you can just guess that's 100% and somebody's being polite mm-hmm. uh, or scared. But I was also part of the problem. I was handing down this old hat advice that had been handed down for 100 years, literally, about how to keep your job. Yeah. And I was silent. I continue to be silent about anybody that 's hurt me. Um, I let things slide to keep things calm. I laughed at things that weren 't funny. I gave bad advice i i am I am one reason that it continued on mm-hmm. so obviously i i you know when you open somebody's eyes to a problem that huge and and at the same time i 'm finding out that well, why is this happening to 94% of us? And the answer is partly me. Otherwise, I'm why it's happening. I, I can change that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this problem of 94%, that seems pretty insurmountable. Mm-hmm. If you look up the hashtag Me Too and see that it was several million people globally who mm-hmm. hashtagged, that's insurmountable. Mm-hmm. But I could stop talking the way I was talking and start talking a new way. Mm-hmm. So I could quit telling girls to pipe down and keep your job and i could start learning new ways to to be loud. And so that's what i that's where my interest came from. I knew like 30 of the first 32 men that were named in the first 30 days. Wow. And many of them were guys i will tell you were the good guys in my life. They were guys that i owed favors to who had done nice things for me, who had supported my Parts of my career that you know were not normally supported by men, and so, but I knew them well enough to know that when I heard the details of the stories, I was like, "Oh, he did it! Oh yeah, he really did! Yeah. It. Wow! Yeah. yeah, yeah." And so, so I ran for office in my union uh, oh, here goodness. locally, and I became a representative here, a delegate, and. Um, I ran on the platform of making the workplace safe for all union members, Mm -hmm. not just half of us. Um, And so while I was doing that, one of the things I committed to in in running for office was that I, you know, I wanted to make sure that everybody that ever needed the phone number to call in a panic would have that number. So I was doing things to make sure that that would happen. And I won't tell the story because it's too long, but it's, a horrifying tale of finding out, it took 45 minutes to find eight numbers and then I had no idea which one I was supposed to call. And so, and thank goodness I was doing it for research and not because I needed help immediately. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because I can tell you that the times I've needed help immediately, I did not have 45 minutes in me of a bunch of searching around on a computer. I would have, I that's wrist slitting stuff. I mean, you can't get through that. So. I got active of, of mm-hmm. you know, within my union before the COVID hit. And and then I also, um, I had written this book, No Small Parts, and uh, it's an, a book for actors. And that commitment to that book was about how I it wanted it to be the book that I had always searched for when I was starting out as an actor, the book that would tell the truth about Everything it would spell right. out the whole career from how to stand out in an audition, you know, when do you move to LA, how do you get an age, and all that to how do you speak to celebrities, how do you get free clothes for the red carpet, how do you, you know everything you would ever need to know. And then I realized how incredibly out of date that book would be without a chapter on me too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 94%, you know, like mm-hmm. you gotta have a chapter on me too if you're writing an acting book right now, in my mind. So, I continue to work on this because, look, I did five movies with Harvey and he never hit on me. He hated me. I always wondered why he hated me. And then on that day, I was like, oh my God, thank God he hated me. Thank God he hated me. Thank God!" But uh, I still don't know why he hated me, but, um, but I'm getting new ideas about why. Um, but now he's, he's in jail and a lot of people are like, okay, we've fixed the Me Too problem. Harvey's in jail. Okay, well, wouldn't it be great if all these millions of women who have been hurt were all hurt by Harvey? <laughs> but he's not the only guy that committed these crimes. He's not any of the men who taken advantage of me. And all the men that have taken advantage of me are all out there still working. So I have to keep trying to make my workplace safe for all of us.
1: Well, I will say I'm closer, I'm close to your age. And I had have- the same mentality because whenever I first got my business degree, I started in the business world and I came across the same thing. So
2: yeah, like you said, oh, you it's not just work work. A, I, The yeah. first time I was ever sexually harassed at work, I was a 15 year old working at Roy Rogers fast food. That was the first time. It was my first job with a social security number. And it was my first time. I mean, within, within two months of being hired, I was harassed.
0: It's, it does not take long. And, and I was
2: 15. Yep.
0: That's sad. I was. Dally. I think I was 20. I was 20, but I was working as a floral manager. And the owner of that shop had to be about 60. Perfect. He tried to back me into it What a, a- match. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's incredible what individuals think they can get away with.
2: Well but they did and and we helped them
0: we they do Uh, get away with I want to point that out I I never told anybody like
2: in a way to report him. It never even occurred to me.
1: Right. I want I want to point out that women you know that's the thing. Women need to promote women. Women need to help women get those auditions. Women need to we need to step up we don't we don't need to look at other women as uh, someone that it threatens our job. We need to look at them as how can I help her so that she doesn't have to go the route, you know, that you know, to promote and get her career going. We need to help each other until Absolutely. everything is is resolved. Well, and we have
2: to quit enabling bad behavior. We have to quit protecting people from their own bad behavior. If you screw up, and I don't care, man, woman, child, I don't care who you are, because there have been a couple of women that have been accused during all this who also. Absolutely. Very upsetting. Very upsetting. And uh, so yeah, I don't care who you are. If you are up to bad business, you need to be called out on your bad business and then see if you can stay afloat or not. Absolutely.
0: I think that's a good segue into uh, another question. What do you think Laura is the best and the worst advice? And I won't say about (laughs) writing. I'm just the best and worst advice about the industry that you've gotten.
2: Or it's very hard, for me, very hard for me to answer um, what is the worst advice, because honestly, I, I do have a busy, busy brain, and if something isn't useful to me, I dump it. It's uh, so hard it's hard, hard for, for me it. to say what was say? the worst <laughs> advice, because I just wouldn't remember it. Um, I do remember being told, don't be a dilettante, when what I was trying to be was a multi-hyphenate. Uh, you know, I was being an actor, writer, producer, or director, and oh. i was told, don 't be a dilettante so that 's stupid advice because obviously, if i were i don 't know Quentin, nobody would have said that to me exactly um, but uh but the best advice i ever got i will tell you i I did this i guess kind of ballsy thing i did are we allowed to say whatever courageous uh, <laughs> thing um <laughs> When I was, uh, after I got my master's, I figured out that, oh, I'm I'm going to become an actor. And I started that at an age that most women were retiring. Um, So I had to go on hyperspeed of just grabbing all the information as quickly as possible and becoming the best actor I could be as quickly as possible. So I spent three years in New York going to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, which is the oldest and I believe finest acting school in America, but it's actually the oldest acting school in the world. Um, and, and I don't know if it's the finest, I didn't go to all the other ones in the world, but, uh, <laughs> but I um, would go to, they would give out free tickets to Broadway at my school. And so I went to everything. I couldn't understand why there were ever tickets left over. I was always like, how could there possibly still be a ticket for me? Because I wouldn't just, everybody go all the time to free Broadway shows. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was just to me where the education was going to really be. You know, the master's program was going to be in the theater. And so I would go to the place all the time. I probably went to, I don't know, 60, 70, I don't know. I went to a bunch in my three years there at three and a half, and um, I would wait by the stage door afterward and speak to the actors. I would target whoever, whoever's performance had most affected me, um, and then I would wait for them by the stage door and talk to them, and I would always ask them the same question. If you could go back to when you were starting out and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? And I got a lot of really great wisdom over the years doing that, Uh, a lot. I I really heard a lot of smart stuff, useful stuff. Mm -hmm. But the one that stuck with me was actually the very last person that I did that with. The last play that I saw before I left New York was, um, oh Lord, I'm gonna forget the name of it. (laughs) Death and the Maiden, (laughs) Death and the Maiden starring Gene Hackman, who I later ended up working with in Enemy of the State, but I let him pass. I love that movie. (laughs) I love that movie. Oh, isn't that so great? It was just on the TV yesterday. I I couldn't help but sit and watch it for a few minutes. It's just such a great movie. Um, Yeah, it was the whole section with Lisa Bonet. But but yeah, so Gene Hackman left. I let him pass because I don't know if you know that play, but his character spent almost the entire play tied up in a chair. So he wasn't my favorite performance. I mean, he's a kidnapping victim. So, uh, but Richard Dreyfuss was the one who I was like, I got to talk to that guy. Um, So I waited, everybody came out and finally Richard came out and he, because he's a movie star since the seventies, a lot of people were waiting by the door for him. Mm -hmm. So I had to wait and wait and wait. But finally it was just the two of us. And he said, look, I got to go. Do you want to walk and talk? And I was like, sure, let's do that. So we're walking and talking and I asked my super duper question and he stops and he says. That's the best question. I was like, (laughs) yeah, I know. Pretty good stuff, right? So, (laughs) um, So he said, so he starts walking again and we're, you know, we've got our heads down and we're just walking and walking and walking. And finally he stops again and he looks at me and he goes, I don't know but it's something about fear and not letting it make your decisions for you. Hmm. And I live by the dare to fail motto. And so that just really zippered right in with my own belief system. And it meant a lot to me and I heard it and heard it well. And Richard and I, you know, are still friends to this day, which is a long, crazy story because it's the 30-year-old story now. <laughs> I mean, that's my entire adult life, but, um, awesome, that yeah, awesome. and he wrote the foreword for that acting book, and, yeah, uh, saw you know, it. Yeah. yeah, so he and I've worked together many times, and, uh, and it's always a joy, and if I had been a person who let, fear make my decisions for me I would have never waited in any stage door to talk Mm -hmm. to any famous person or just Mm -hmm. actor in general who were on Broadway Mm -hmm. I would have been too what if what if what if about all that I I just was hungry for education I've always just been so hungry for education and I just went for it my goal is to when I
0: finish everything I want to do I don't want to have what ifs left regret I want to get rid of all of the what-ifs and I should-haves. Just go for I it. do
2: have some, but only because there's just so many, there's so many, there's only so much life in your life, you know? I have this other life I was going to do that I never yeah. got around to, where I was going to be a, a I, I was a man in this life, I guess, where I was <laughs> going to be a race car driver who became an astronaut. And, oh, I would um, love to have been an astronaut. Yeah. I just so, didn't have the grades. <laughs> So that was this other whole life that that's when you say, what did you dream of being, you know, that, that's where I was at. I wasn't a movie star. I was a, race car driver slash astronaut, I was a physicist, I was, you know.
1: oh <laughs> yeah, I love that, because I write all kinds of science fiction, I love everything, I go to NASA almost every year, um, do you so really,
2: no, I love it, I, I'll, I'll say, it it's kind of painful for me, I kind of avoid some of it, <laughs> it's <laughs> hard for me, I have a longing in my heart, you know,
1: because <laughs> it's it's amazing, the world, you know, what's out there beyond our world, yeah. and i just i'm so intrigued by that but i also like that you talked about how he said don't let fear uh, get in the way because we have a lot of yeah we have a lot of introverted uh, authors that yeah you know, authors most of the time are introverted because they're more introspective and and so it's harder for them to get out there and to sp- talk to people and to network
0: and that's so a, yeah well, that's where
2: observers
0: Yes. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. We and we're more than happy it. to sit we back watch and just watch. We do a whole lot more looking than talking. People exactly watch We do. We people do watch.
2: a lot of people watch. And then
0: we wa and then we write about you later.
2: <laughs> well, I will say it it has affected my acting to be that kind of person, that kind the person who'd rather be listening than talking. Um and I'm a very chatty Kathy in my real life, but as an actor it does um it does me some good to be the kind of person who'd rather watch the other person doing what they're doing and then react to that because that is sort of the job.
1: <laughs> it is, yes, yes, I'm yeah. going to read, yeah, their body language, read what they're thinking and how they're going to approach it. I'm not Well, and actress. care, care about
2: what's going on with them, life. you know, that reads on camera and it's more interesting than watching somebody who's just waiting for their turn to talk.
1: Good point. Well, I have one more question for the night. Uh, and you, know, you know that Louisiana is my home state, and you're over there right now in the trenches of these last two hurricanes, and of course, your book, The Charlotte Reed Mysteries, takes place. Its setting is in New Orleans, Louisiana, so we've just had two hurricanes, and I say we because I still have family over there, and uh, it's pretty devastating from Laura to, to Delta, uh, so how are y'all doing over there? How are y'all holding up?
2: Well, New Orleans is now four times lucky this year. I don't know how long that's gonna last, but um, you know, it it, it it keeps hooking left or right of us. And poor Lake Charles, where your family's from, that's yeah. just really taking the brunt of things. So I wish them well, I, I, you know, a lot of the, I hate this word, but refugees is what they call them. Um, a lot of them are here again. They had just left town and they're back. Uh, in our empty hotels. You know, we don't have tourists right now, so, or we don't have many anyway. Mm -hmm. And so it's good timing for the hotels. They get the government money to take on these people who are currently homeless. And so I guess there are parts of it that work out okay for people, but you know, those those people that were here last month, they were going home to tarps when the second one hit.
0: Exactly.
2: So I don't know if other people know what that means, but you know, it means you don't have nothing but a blue tarp at your house, a blue tarp. So
1: aerial aerial view of the homes, especially when Rita and Katrina that year. Oh, it's, it's just, well, and it was a lot like Rita and
2: Katrina because I can't believe that the hurricane was named Laura, but anyway, Laura (laughs) was the strongest (laughs) hurricane to ever hit the Gulf shore ever and so you know and then right after that to have this other just come right out and smack it Boom. so yeah it, you know we're 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 feeling pretty lucky around here i will say we're feeling pretty lucky around here because everybody around here knows what it could have been
1: yes exactly because i know new orleans is below sea level and the corps of engineers put a lot of work into keeping y'all from flooding
0: especially
2: no comment hurricanes. no comment
0: <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always wondered about the engineering. That. I have I quite an engineering voice. I said you create a bowl below sea level and then wonder why it
2: flooded. Well, but you create Kansas in the ter- tornado alley. You create <laughs> yeah. California on a fault line. You create, I mean, so... Yeah. But is this planet Earth is a dangerous place. And New Orleans full is full of volcanoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and uh, tsunamis and, you know, m- monsoons and, 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 and. There is not a safe quarter of this planet that you could live on. You just got to figure out which thing you're willing to deal with. And right. we just cannot true.
1: let anything happen to New Orleans because people listening from all over the world, it has the best food. I'm not. You, <laughs> you, you do need Trinus or, or, or Perlisac? Per, 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 what's the indigestion medicine called? Oh, I wouldn't know. Oh, would know.
0: I wouldn't know. I need it all in my rival New Orleans. I'm just going to say.
2: We can't let anything happen to it. <laughs> well, no, and our music <laughs> is the best as well. Our music, our food. I mean, I agree. There's a lot I think we're the best at here.
1: Awesome. agree. I love it the culture is magnificent the history everything it's well it's yeah amazing. and i mean i
2: always knew i'd end up here this is my family is from louisiana for hundreds of years on both sides and uh even though I, I i was actually the first person born outside of louisiana or texas for generations um in my family for on both sides i mean it was just we just did not go out of this area for a very long time. And and then because of my father's job, I was born in DC, mm-hmm. as was my brother. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, but this, if home is where the heart is, yes. this was always my home. It just was not where I grew up.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Oh, I love
1: that. Oh my goodness, Laura, oh, my you God. have so much information and you're such a great guest. We, we have oh. a great time. Oh my goodness, we'll have to have you back again because we are, exactly. at
2: but we oh my, do, my, that went so fast. We
1: need to wait. I had more questions, but I <laughs> so can ask you, but, uh, yeah, we need to go ahead and let you go. And, uh, but I wanted to tell the listeners and viewers that I wanted to get to give them your information. So if they can reach out to you or find you and see what all you're up to. Uh, I think it's very obvious that you have a wealth of knowledge that the writing community and actors and actresses that are uh, listening, they can really read about you and learn about your, your, your journey in both careers. Uh, so I wanted to give out this information. So your Twitter handle is at no small parts. That's K-N-O-W-S-M-A-L-L-P-A-R-T-S. Your Facebook is Laura k u e t that's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, C-A-Y-O-U-E-T-T-E, and you have a website too, and that is L-A-T-O-N-O-L-A, that's LaTona Nola.
2: No, L-A to Nola,
1: or L-A to i I'm following this, I'm like anyway so l-a-t-o-n-o-l-a dot com. actually so, you can just
2: put dot com and it'll go through but you know, i mean wordpress. i have it redirected
1: so definitely listeners viewers reach out or start following her and uh she's an amazing person an, an inspiration especially to women uh, it, it's Absolutely. been a joy to, to follow her and all her tweets and her fun, the fun things they do in New Orleans. Some people say New Orleans, New Orleans. So check it out. But Laura, we want oh, oh, I want to thank my co-host Ella real quick.
0: <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> thank but, you so much, Laura, for being our special guest. Oh, well, thank y'all. And is, we wanted you to have the last word.
1: So anything you wanted to say to our listeners or viewers before we go for the
2: night? Oh, wow. Well, that covers a lot, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, if the majority, you know, I'm, I'm best known, I've been doing uh, lots of creative, fun, cool things for decades now, but I'm best known as, as Leonardo DiCaprio's sister in Django. And that's a fine thing to be known for. Um, but if I, but I assume most of your listeners are writers. Mm -hmm. And if I were to have something to say to writers, write. Mm -hmm. I get so irritated with people telling me they're gonna. Mm -hmm. Or I'll tell you what's even more irritating is people who tell me that they have a great story that I should write for them. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no, no. I don't write your story. You write your story. Mm -hmm. I write my story. (laughs) You know, that's, that's how it works. And yes, you can find writers to write your story, but, but honestly, you should hand them the thing to rewrite. That would be better for you. Right. So <laughs> e- if you think you have a great story, write it down. If you have some novel you wanna, you know, be able to say, I'm writing a novel, well, then you better be writing it. Exactly. Not telling people you're writing it. Right, just, write. just, write, just write, write. Write, 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 write.
1: I love that. No better time that. than the present. Uh, Well, absolutely.
2: I just, I'm doing a documentary right now. I've never shot a documentary before, but I'm producing and directing a documentary right now uh, in conjunction with a nonprofit. And I did this interview the other day. And the woman I was interviewing, she said, if you're not writing now, when are you going to (laughs) write? Like, this is, this is the moment in history that every artist is, is challenged to rise to. This is the moment where if you're a composer, if you're a violinist, if you're a dancer, if I don't care what your expression is, if you're not looking at this moment in history as an opportunity to express an opinion of it or a observation of it, or just how it's feeling to be you in these days, Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're, you're not really a voice, right? exactly Exactly. and I just
1: tweeted something today I said about you know I was listening on the radio that this moment in history they do those every now and then and they were talking about Madonna and a couple other celebrities and I tweeted something about guys this could be y'all today you could be writing the next great novel that becomes maybe the next great movie and they could look back and say In this moment in history, so-and-so began their novel about blah, blah, blah.
2: Well, I will tell you, I mean, I know we have to go, but I will tell you that I I have a lot of fancy friends. I have a lot of fancy friends, and most of them had no idea how fancy they were going to be. You know, they were just busy doing, telling their story. They were just busy doing what they were good at, practicing their skill set, and then that took them where it took them.
1: That's awesome. I love that. I love
2: that.
1: Great way to close. It is a great way to close. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you all very much.
2: I've really had a fun time.
0: You have been listening to By the Moonlight Writers Podcast on the WOW Network with your co-hosts, Jackie Anders and Ella Clark. You can enjoy new episodes of By the Moonlight Writers Podcast every two weeks by tuning into the WOW Network YouTube channel or the Anchor podcasting platform.